looks like right now 136 million people have voted and 128 million people voted in uh, 2016, and we know there's more to come. So people got the message from whether it's President Trump's side or um, former Vice President Biden's side that their vote matters. So that's number one, and that is a positive, even as we look at this division and the possibility of um, trying to figure out who won Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan taking even longer. So that's number one. But I think number two, the question is, the Biden campaign sort of thought that if they won this by a landslide, they'd have some kind of mandate to govern. That mandate isn't there. So how do you govern a country that is as divided as what these vote totals seem to point to? Um, if you are Joe Biden, if you are, are you trying to figure out, you know, how do I bring people together? Does the Democrat, Democratic Party even want to do that with the progressive wing of the party? What does it mean to have more divided government in, um, as we move forward in this country? And I think that is a big question. That is, that is something that, that Joe Biden has to figure out. It's also something that President Trump might have to figure out. Now, we know with President Trump, he has seemed to care a little bit more about the people who vote for him than other people. But he also, in theory, has a mandate to try to bring people together. What does that look like? Does anything get done? Even just the one thing, the one thing Congress couldn't do before the election, which was pass more stimulus for people who are suffering from COVID, who have lost their jobs, they couldn't do that. How do we do that moving forward? That is, that is the question that I am grappling with right now, is that if you have a country that believes two very different things, how do they communicate at all? And one of these men is going to have to try to figure that out, or at least these parties are going to have to try to figure and, that and out. Excuse me. And, and Shada, we know that this president has had an uneasy relationship with many Republicans because of his unorthodox ways. But even if he ends up having a bad night or a bad week, as the case may go, uh, they, Republicans may be able to look and say, look, we held on to the Senate. That's, you know, it's certainly not a sure thing right now, but they might uh, be able to, to say that. They would certainly know that they've got a lot of conservative judges, including a new uh, member of the Supreme Court. So in many ways, do Republicans lose no matter how this plays out? Well, I mean, I, I guess they, they actually win in some ways, especially in terms of the Senate, depending on how that turns out. But, and, and the President of the United States did improve his numbers with Latinos in some states. So that means that their message some part of the conservative message resonated with some people, especially in Florida. So I think the question for the Republican Party is, you know, they, the, the president did run on divisiveness. He did run on fear. And what is the message that they take from that as they try to grow their party even more? Because in the end, Joe Biden is going to end up with the popular vote win, right? It's going to be much like Hillary Clinton ended up with the popular vote win. Maybe he'll also win the Electoral College. Don't know yet. We'll see what happens. But with the popular vote, the Republicans have to take a look and say, how do we get to that place where more of the country wants to vote for us, even if you take out the Electoral College part of it? Um, and I, I'm curious to see how the Republican Party responds to that. Shana, thank you for uh, sharing your thoughts. Appreciate that. Uh, Ron Hilliard is in Scottsdale, Arizona, where Joe Biden has uh, really maintained a, a slight lead uh, throughout the night and certainly into the middle of the day here. Uh, what's the what's the news there? What's the thinking there, Ron? Yeah, look, Reggie Jesus is not called the 
state of Arizona. Last night, uh, the initial lead for Joe Biden was double digits. But then what we have seen over the hours since then is that Donald Trump has narrowed that margin significantly. It is now 3.4 percentage points. Why is that? Well, in large part, it's because the Republican voters in the state of Arizona decided to show up late. Only just yesterday in Maricopa County, by a two to one margin, Republicans voted over Democrats in person. And that is why you are seeing late last night in the middle of the morning, some of these results come in uh, in significantly positive for this president. So what are the big questions at hand here in Arizona? What are we waiting for to be able to call this? Well, there are at least 440,000 outstanding ballots left for here in the state of Arizona. I've been talking with elections officials this morning and folks uh, connected to the Trump campaign here as we've been trying to scratch through these numbers here. And what we are looking at is a 93,000 vote lead for Joe Biden here in the state of Arizona. When you look at that 440,000 lot left, that means Donald Trump would need to win about 60% of the votes over Joe Biden among those, uh, the, those votes that have not been tabulated at this point. Can he do that? Well, uh, if you look at the results of yesterday, voters who voted in person, they trended to uh, Donald Trump by more than 60 percentage points. But Democrats that I talked to in the state say, hold on a second. We had a lot of voters that came and dropped off their early ballots at the polling location yesterday because they didn't trust that the Postal Service would be able to get it in. So they say that we expect that margin to not be as high. So, uh, essentially what we can say left right now is that we should expect here through the rest of the afternoon a close race here in the desert, one that the Trump campaign believes that they could potentially get close or overtake Donald Trump or overtake Joe Biden here in the state of Arizona. Well, it'll be interesting dynamics. We uh, are charting here as we move into the early afternoon of the East Coast time. Thank you for that. We're going to take a break here. We'll continue with Decision 2020 election coverage right after this.
over to Stacy. So we've been watching the state of Maine and this race between Senator Susan Collins, the incumbent Republican, and her challenger and Speaker of the Maine House, uh, Sarah Gideon. What we've just learned is that a phone call happened. Sarah Gideon called Senator Collins, according to both of them now. Uh, Sarah Gideon just saying a moment ago, I just spoke with Senator Collins. I congratulated her, congratulated her on winning this election. I told her I will always be available to help serve the people of Maine. Ultimately, that's why I entered the race. So there's Sarah Gideon conceding, uh, saying that she has conceded to Senator Collins. Again, Senator Collins, Lester, the longest-serving Republican woman in the Senate. So she has been there a while. She's a moderate. She's from Maine. Janice thought she was quite vulnerable. That's right. And that, that is very interesting because uh, you know she took a lot of heat for being close enough to Donald Trump, especially on issues of the Supreme Court. Uh, and that was hurting her, it would appear, up in the state of Maine, where people have kind of an independent streak. And there are a lot of Democrats uh, down on the coast of Maine, particularly around Portland, the capital. Uh, so people were worried that Senator Collins might be in trouble, but it certainly looks at this point, we've not projected it yet, but it certainly looks like she but if that's the that case, that, that Democrats have a higher hill now to climb to try to get control of the Senate. That's right, because that would now be uh, two seats that have turned to, well, sorry, that, that would be one seat that has flipped for Democrats, one seat that has flipped for Republicans, and, and nothing else has changed, essentially. Those Georgia races are going to go to uh, runoff. Well, one is at least, so there are two races in Georgia, if you haven't been watching for hours and hours, <laughs> there are two races in Georgia. One of them is definitely at this point going to a runoff in January. The other one is uncertain whether it will, but it may if either candidate makes a certain threshold, 50%. What that could mean, Lester, if we game this out, is potentially, let's say that the Democrats do pick up Arizona, which we've been talking about. That's Mark Kelly, the former astronaut, married to Gabby Giffords. If he were to win in Arizona, that would be a pickup for the Democrats. They would then need two more, and you've got these two Georgia races that could happen. It could be put off till January, right before the inauguration of the next president. So we could have a situation where Georgia becomes the moment in January where the Senate balance won out, right? We've had so many other things happen in 2020. Things like right, don't happen. right, exactly. <laughs> but, but imagine the money that would flow into Georgia if these two runoff races are going to determine the fate of who controls the Senate. That, and we're, not, that's, we're not there yet, but that could happen. Part of the conversation. All right, Jay, thanks for that late-breaking development. Uh, President Trump has already vowed to bring uh, his case over ballots to the Supreme Court, but how and when could that happen? NBC News Justice correspondent Pete Williams joins us. Pete, what do we know in terms of lawsuits filed and those that we would expect will be filed? Well, three have already been filed in Pennsylvania, and all of them have to do with mail ballots. And I think all, almost all the legal action we're going to see from now on is going to deal with mail ballots. All these lawsuits were filed by Republicans. Two of them are within the past uh, 24 hours or so, challenging the way, the first one challenging the way that election officials in Montgomery County, which is the state's third largest county, began to examine mail ballots before the official pre-canvas was to begin at 7 a.m. on election day. The county actually looked at the envelopes. They gave voters whose envelopes had an obvious problem a chance to come in and fix it. The Republicans say that could not have been done. Another lawsuit in Pennsylvania challenges the state's decision to let voters cast a provisional ballot if their mail-in ballot was declared invalid. The Republicans say state law doesn't allow for that. And then third, there's the lawsuit that's still pending in the U.S. Supreme Court. This one is over the decision 
made by the state Supreme Court to extend the mail ballot deadline by three days to Friday. Now, the Supreme Court has twice said no to the Republicans on that. First, the Supreme Court declined to block the effect of that ruling. That was a 4-4 tie vote in the Supreme Court. Then the Supreme Court said, okay, we might hear your appeal, but we're not going to put it on a fast track. So the, it's still sitting there, and they could grant that appeal. The Republicans could go back to the Supreme Court and say, okay, now will you take it on a fast track? They haven't done that yet. And then in Nevada, the Republicans are challenging the way the state uses automation to see if the signatures on the mail ballot envelope match what's on file in the voter registration list. That lawsuit says that that task has to be performed by people, not machines. So if, if the vote margins turn out to be razor thin in any of these states, what the lawyers call within the margin of litigation, then you can expect legal teams to fight this out ballot by ballot with lawyers for the candidate who's behind trying to get as many votes thrown out on the leader as possible. And if there is a Bush v. Gore type case this time in the Supreme Court, this is what the big issue will be. This is what the courts have been struggling with in the last couple of weeks. In the states where election rules were changed, the question will be, are those changes improper unless they were ordered by state legislatures? There is a theory among conservative judges that only state legislatures can change the rules, such as, such as extending the deadline for ballots. There are at least three members of the Supreme Court have said they think that's how it should work, too. And, of course, Lester, we have yet to hear from Justice Amy Coney Barrett on that question. All right, Chuck, Steve, thanks for laying that out. I want to bring in now John Fortier, an election law analyst and NBC News contributor, who's here to help us sort some of this out. Uh, talk about th this idea that states really control their own elections. So why do these cases end up before federal judges so often and, and are not settled at the state level? Well, one difference in election law is that we have, uh, in the Constitution, states are given the ability to uh, decide how the electors are selected. And, and that can mean even in our early days that they selected them directly. They didn't have elections or, or to have constrained arrangements like Maine and Nebraska have different arrangements. Uh, a little more controversial when you, when you think about the idea that we've already got an election system in place by law. But uh, in Bush v. Gore, there were at least three conservative justices who really entertained the idea that, that the states really might be defenders of that original system against state courts or others who would seek to change it. So uh, in Bush v. Gore, when they felt, the, the conservative legislature in, in Florida felt like others were changing the system, they appealed to the court to say, you know, keep our original system. Don't make all these changes. Stay with us. Do, do the courts tend to look at these as, as, for example, you know, Democrats will call some of these lawsuits uh, suppression tactics. Do the courts take any of that into consideration, the idea that voters could be dis disenfranchised, voters who, who place the vote in good faith, believing that it was a legal vote? I think that will be a, a big hurdle for some of these suits because uh, at least the court has allowed some things to go forward and voters have relied on them, so they've cast votes. But there, there could be issues, especially those coming up after the election, where we, we already have a lot of ballots in, in place, and people are starting to perhaps make some changes to the law, saying well, we should allow these ballots that came in after the deadline, uh, other, other things that really change things after the fact. And I think that's where perhaps uh, there might be some traction. But it, it's likely to be in small categories of ballots, not disenfranchising people who, who really relied on what the court has allowed before. And, 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 if, and if the election is settled, there is a projected winner at the end of all this, or even a certified winner, 
do the courts then recognize that this, maybe this is something we don't want to enter? Well, the court is often going to let other actors go first. So, so the counting may go forward, uh, and, and secretaries of state and others may make certifications. But there are a lot of actions in the period after Election Day. And, and you know, I, I think the Supreme Court has said, at least with, it, with respect to its own federal courts, it's going to be very cautious in, in making some changes that would deviate from, from what the state would say. Even, even John Roberts, I think, who, who was mixed on some of these cases, really does believe that, that federal courts be deferential to uh, the state's scheme and not, not set in too quickly to change things, uh, even for the sake of good. All right. John Fortier, thank you for walking us through this water. We appreciate it. NBC's Chris Jansing is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Chris, a place where you have spent a lot of time covering the elections. Uh, give me your perspective as we, uh, as we wait for the numbers there and the other uh, battle grounds. We've been saying for a long time it could come down to Pennsylvania, and the cliffhanger that is Pennsylvania continues. Slowly today, we've been seeing some more results come in from those mail-in ballots in counties all across Pennsylvania, but two counties in particular that we're watching very closely. One is the area around Pittsburgh, uh, where Allegheny County, they've been, they've been counting fast and furious 24-7. And, of course, Philadelphia, where there are at least 200,000 more ballots. But remember, in spite of the fact that we have a count now of how many outstanding ballots there are, those ballots can continue to come in until Friday. So we won't really have a final count until then. And those large cities, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, are areas that are expected to trend toward Joe Biden, who has been slowly closing the gap with Donald Trump, who continues to lead. The big question now is when. When will we know? Certainly not today. We heard from the governor, the secretary of state. They affirmed that no one is going to rush anything. There is a consensus among a lot of the county commissioners that it probably won't be until Friday. And you've been talking legalities. That's another thing that's going on here. Lawsuits being filed on both sides and 500 lawyers that have descended on Pennsylvania. So you can expect more lawsuits potentially to be filed. <laughs> Lester. All right, Chris, thank you very much. Seems like we're just about a dozen hours or so, but our first storyline of the evening was Florida and, uh, and the likelihood that uh, Joe Biden would be able to hang on. And in fact, it went uh, to uh, President Trump. Alicia Menendez is in Miami to talk now about the power of the Latino vote there. Uh, it'll take, I'm sure, a while uh, to, to, to sort all this out. But, you know, if, if the Biden folks are doing an after action review, what would it tell them?
believe that those voters with no party affiliation were going to lean towards Joe Biden and could make up the difference for them, where they started getting nervous when they didn't see those numbers adding up. It also seems like the forecasting for Joe Biden on senior voters in this state, on college-educated white voters in the state, overstated their support for Joe Biden. Why was that? A lot of this, Lester, comes down to something that's, that's pretty unsexy, which is the data, right? Why are these voters showing up in data for Republicans, but when Democrats in the state try to assess their overall electoral strategy, they're clearly just some voters that they are either missing or misunderstanding. How do they make it so that they can remodel it better in another four years? We saw uh, President Obama spend a fair amount of time in Florida making the case for Joe Biden, stirring up the crowd. Uh, obviously not as successful as they hoped. Is there any, what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, I think that was both an effort to gin up support among Latino voters, among black voters. It is among the questions we'll be asking. I think it left to some degree it becomes a question of investment messaging and actual policies and delivering. I mean, you look at a state like Arizona, and many people feel that that provides a roadmap that Democrats need to be looking at more broadly. 2016, you had Hillary Clinton doing fairly well in the state, even though she didn't carry it. Two years later, Kristen Sinema wins the state. And then this year, you know, we're still waiting to call that race, but you do see the numbers very, very tight there, potentially looking good for Joe Biden. They want to take that model and replicate it in other states. Can they take that model? Can they take the long-term investment and in organizing that we saw there, not on the part of the party, but on the part of outside organizations, and apply it to a state like, say, Texas, where you don't say we're going to flip this in one election cycle, but we're going to invest and continue to invest, build the infrastructure there so that when the time comes when you have the right candidate, you can step into a position where they are running for statewide office, someone with a name, someone with national profile, that the ground will be right for victory. So I think overall, as Democrats step back and look at the map, there are also going to be a lot of questions about what this map looks like in another four years. And, and just a, yeah, one last question on, on the COVID argument in yep. Florida. COVID struck Florida hard, but there was also from the governor there a big push for this idea of reopening, to lower restrictions. Was, and that at the same time that the Biden folks uh, were building their whole messaging around COVID. Did they miss the mark? Did they mislead the crowd in Florida? We're still reading those exit polls, but I'll tell you, every voter that I spoke with here talked about three issues, health care, the economy, and the president's handling of the pandemic. Obviously, their understanding and interpretation of the president's handling of the pandemic, very divided along partisan lines. So that may be the real tell. Thanks for the view uh, from Miami. We're going to take a quick break. Be back in just a moment. You're watching Decision 2020 on NBC.
vehicle provides an answer from the Department of the Energy to Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania four years ago. Now Wisconsin increasingly looking at a competitively provider. Michigan also looking competitively provider as well. So that's the latest on that for moments ago. As far as the savings and the grant payments, only a point and a half million is something that would be to the manager in the media street now as the vote in Wisconsin where it was only, I think, about 20,000 votes or so that separated the two in that state. A former governor, Republican governor of Wisconsin, Scott Walker, saying that there's a natural recount there. He said was a high hurdle. There's been a couple of recounts in the last decade. One changed about 131 votes in 2015. The other one changed 300 votes in 2011 for Wisconsin Supreme Court. Um, and Tuesday was being discussed. What was being voted on at the time. So 20,000, he says, would be a long way to go. But just moments ago, Lester, we're also hearing from the president who's now complaining, expressing frustration about what's going on in Pennsylvania. He just tweeted that we are winning Pennsylvania big, but he notes that the Secretary of State just announced that millions of ballots have yet to be counted. That's notable because you can see the sort of rapid pace that the Trump campaign is now sort of bringing up these efforts to sort of go after the vote count in a variety of places where it appears right now that they are losing. 3.30 Eastern time this afternoon, we've now learned that the Trump campaign will host a news conference with Karen Trump, the head of Stone as well. Mara Trump, Cory Bursatsky, a former campaign manager, and Pam Bondi, who is a familiar name to a lot of folks. She was the former attorney general um, in Florida. But they will be speaking, I'm told, by um, a member familiar with this news conference they'll be focusing on ongoing election issues in Philadelphia as they describe a real concern there that with so many outstanding votes, particularly in that urban area of Philadelphia, some of the taller counties around it, that the advantage that the president has there could be erased as well. But this is clearly, this is clearly the focus today, even as we try to see whether we'll hear from the president at any point today or White House official Lester only a short time ago saying that no decision has been made, but decisions are being made more broadly about the strategy and whatever the legal battles they're going to pursue going forward are. There's a meeting taking place since about 10 o'clock this morning at the campaign headquarters just across the river from the um, from Washington, D.C. in Virginia. Jared Kushner's going to come with them. I'm told the chief of staff, Mark Meadows, is going there as well as many of the top campaign officials. So a lot of real movement. Notable because just last night, Karen, the president said that he said they had won. He said we had already won this. Clearly that was premature. Clearly we knew it to be false. But now we're looking for ways where they think they can win this. And the path was not far. Lester? Yeah, and this is uh, this is what uh, has been coming up for weeks, if not months, this notion of uh, letting the giant lawsuit hang a lawyer with the public uh, until the president is done and is voting. Let me bring in Michael Steele, former Republican National Committee chairman, Biden supporter, and congressional contributor, and Dallas Congressman Rush and Wong uh, analyst. Uh, Michael, let me begin with you. Any surprise here about the, uh, uh, the Trump lawyers uh, to make their move? None, Lester, uh, other than Russian control. <laughs> I think we have been uh, making final wink of 9 o'clock this morning as soon as the courtroom opened. Um, you know, look, this, this is a dartboard, and they are firing darts on the floor. They're trying to pick them up and throw them, but the problem is it doesn't quite make sense. And Karen, it, it's just not, it's just not going to land on the Congress. That's one. Two, let's just call this what it is. They're lying about what's going on in Philadelphia. They're lying about what's going on in Wisconsin and in Michigan. The fact of the matter is 
that there, there is no antibody coding, strong chain coding is over. We are now in the process where the states such as Secretary of State and the County Board of Development are counting the votes. And every vote is going to be counted and every vote will be certified and a winner will be determined. And at that time, we'll be announced. So all of this is just reactions and machinations to create a narrative for Trump on the other side of all of this right there to come out and say this process is rigged. To do that at the door at the very beginning of this process, of the election cycle, right after the last debate. And this is the running of that of that narrative. And he's going to run it right there. He can't run it anymore. Well, so let me ask you to be clear on that. So how does he win with a strategy like this? He can, he can certainly get a crowd to hear and, and, and talk up, you know, pretty badly. Uh, but how does that get him to victory? Well, the question is, is that, is that really the end game here where you know the numbers are stacked against you? When I, when I have mayors out there who will then carry on the narrative after them, uh, this would be as much a problem for an incoming Biden administration uh, as anything else. This is not just the, the short game of trying to win the election, particularly when the numbers aren't there. You can't repeat the numbers. It's the math. But the other side of that is that how do I continue a narrative very much as we saw with the Bolshevism? Long after Barack Obama even produced his, his birth certificate, he still claimed that, in fact, it was a, it was a fake. So understand what the long game here is as, as well. It's about what happens during the Biden administration. So, Don, let me bring you into this conversation. So what we're seeing right now are moves before all the votes are counted. The process is still underway. If they wait with lawsuits until the vote is over, when the projections have been made that, you know, the Biden administration is going to push Biden, does this become a much steeper hill to climb? Exactly what it is. I mean, so the crux of the Clinton campaign is that it is all to do with the law and the voting rules. The law is there's really not much they can do to stop the attack. There are no real revolutions. So they have to point to something that went wrong that is pushing back on them. And so what they're trying to do is just throw up something in front of the wall and hope that something will stick. Um, and right now, what the law is saying is just can't file a lawsuit simply because you want to. The hard place is that once you win until the count has been certified, then those demands against you are able just to overcome the sort of beneficial certifications. So you've got to find a judge that will say something went wrong with the law, right? There's some violation to overcome that certification. So it doesn't have, the, the campaign does not have any strong possibility here in light of the election returns and the election outcome. There's not that much else to do unless you can find a legal violation. Do, do you think that these lawsuits would feel more valuable from this standpoint because they were pre-packaged and sort of loaded and ready to go at this point? Yeah, there's a, yeah, I think the lawsuits will come and once it's, they probably came up with within the last day or two. So it's really interesting to figure out, okay, where are the places that we can, we can make the best arguments that we can play when the count is close enough? So there's some easy bets, right? If, we, if you're within the margin um, of victory, in other words, where uh, the, the vote is really close, then the recount is an easy thing to do. That's standard strategy. That's not unusual. And that is certainly the best pre um, but then there's the other problem, which is that if you're outside of that margin, what you're trying to do is to either stop the count, then you have to come up with something creative. Like you have to come up with something that's unusual. And that part depends on which state that you think you have the best shot at, at 
election officials say there's just 300 votes that they haven't counted in one rural town in Wisconsin. Joe Biden's current lead is some 20,000 votes. The campaign is overly confident about it, saying that they believe they've won the state. They were actually pushing and nudging the news network some four hours ago to call it, but there are still votes uh, outstanding. Now, Milwaukee County, as you mentioned, was the linchpin here for the Biden campaign. They needed to make up ground on where Hillary Clinton was. She lost the state, of course, four years ago by just 25,000 votes. They made up that ground and then some. Here and in Madison, they hope that they'll see similar type trends in places like Michigan, places like Georgia. But overhanging all of this now, Lester, of course, is this recount. As Kate sort of laid out, that recount could take us past November. Keep in mind, all these election workers who've been volunteering through this pandemic, Wisconsin is a hot spot. I know nobody wants to hear it, but it sounds like we got another couple weeks in front of us in the state of Wisconsin, Lester. All right, Cal. Well, we've all brought our patients along. Thanks very much. Uh, White House correspondent for the PBS NewsHour, Yamiche Alcindor, joins us now, along with Barbara McQuaid, law professor and former U.S. attorney for Michigan. And, and Barbara, we knew that a number of lawsuits would be coming. The, the Trump campaign's been, been talking about that for weeks, if not months. I remember when my, my kids were little, something would happen. They'd go, well, can you sue? And I'm like, well, you can sue for anything. Uh, so all lawsuits are, are not created equal, but what is the net effect if, if the uh, Trump folks began to just flood the zone? Well, uh, the reporting so far is that they have filed a lawsuit today, but it is simply to access the room where those ballots are being counted. There are rules in Michigan about how that works. Credential challengers can come in uh, to the, the place where the ballots are being counted to observe and make sure there are no irregularities. Um, but uh, that would require that they're being denied access at the moment. And I've not heard reporting that they were denied access. In fact, to the contrary, I've seen reporting that they had been granted access. So as you said, you can sue for anything, but you can only prevail if you have a meritorious claim. But um, I do think that this idea of flooding the zone is, uh, as we heard Michael Steele say, an effort to kind of throw darts at the wall in hopes that one of them might stick. I think one place to look for something that could stick is in Pennsylvania, where we had a state court judge say that ballots cast on uh, by Election Day but arriving uh, by November 6th could be counted. Those ballots were segregated. A split Supreme Court were 4-4, uh, and so they allowed that state decision to stand with a new composition of a Supreme Court with Amy Coney Barrett there. If that uh, could be, should be renewed, that challenge, and if Pennsylvania ends up razor thin for Joe Biden, uh, we could see Amy Coney Barrett playing a very significant Are we on ground that, that, that we kind of saw coming? Well, we knew that this was going to be a tight race. The Biden campaign um, didn't want it to be this tight. There's a lot of poll searching with Democrats, but especially in states like Florida, um, where you saw the president able to increase his margins with Latino men, but really overperform with white voters across that state. We're seeing that same trend all across the country. Um, so it is, in some ways, a surprise sitting place where we are, but it is expected because we saw the polls. They were tight. The thing that, of course, has been remarkable over this last 24 hours has been the stance of President Trump. He declared himself victor. He said that he was someone who had already won the election. This morning, though, we see the Trump campaign and Trump campaign officials trying to walk that back. They, on a call with reporters, did not say that the president had already won. Instead, they said he said they think that he will win. They're also appointing at certain states, including Georgia and North Carolina, saying that they should already have been called for the president. Those states have not been called yet, at least by the AP. That being said, you also see the Biden campaign really getting more and more blunt about this, saying the president has absolutely no grounds to stand on as, they, as the Trump campaign starts to file lawsuit after lawsuit, um, trying in some ways to slow down this vote, to, make, to take a pause.
Um, the president feels, I'm told, that he is confident that he will win this. But the trends feel are making Democrats feel like the the race is really moving in their direction in a way that they still feel comfortable with. Any uh, any insight into what the the evening was like at the White House where all this was coming down? The White House, from my understanding, the president was anxiously watching um, results come in. He saw then Joe Biden make a statement. He decided he, of course, wanted to make a statement. All night long, we had been told that the president was at some point going to be making a statement, but the White House was being very, very cautious about whether or not the president would come out to deliver an concession speech or an acceptance speech. After Joe Biden came out, really urging patience, that's when you saw the president go after um, Democrats, lash out at them, say that they were trying to steal the election. Of course, there's no evidence of that. And that's what we saw. The, the, Gonna yeah. interrupt you. We've got some. We've got some breaking news. Uh, well, let's put it up here. I think uh, NBC News is now projecting uh, Joe Biden is the apparent winner in the state of Wisconsin. Ten electoral votes. That was an important prize in the Democrats' uh, blue wall. So again, NBC News projecting that Joe Biden, the apparent winner of Wisconsin, ten electoral votes. Uh, Peter Alexander, let's send it over to you. Yeah, so Lester, obviously that's a big win for Joe Biden. This is part of that blue wall, as you noted, that President Trump won uh, four years ago by just a limited number of votes. This time around, obviously, it's now favoring Joe Biden, the first of that wall to crumble for Donald Trump back in the Democrats' corner right now. Uh, you were having this conversation with Yamiche a short time ago. The president effectively declared victory last night, falsely and prematurely, but now they're backpedaling and trying to find what that path looks like even as over the course of this day we know that the campaign strategists and advisors and even the president's chief of staff and his son-in-law jared kushner have been meeting together at the campaign headquarters to come up with their strategy the legal battles that they want to pursue um in the days ahead going forward this does come a matter of hours after the trump campaign insisted that it would be calling for an immediate recount in that state given that the total tally is uh, under one percent so it's expected they will do that in the days ahead but as we've noted before but it bears repeating the deficit there for donald trump in wisconsin is more than twenty thousand votes there have been multiple recounts in that state one in 2011 over a supreme court seat another in 2016 during the presidential race in those two recounts in one of them uh the republicans were able to gain i think 131 seats swung for donald trump in 2016 and in 2011 there were 300 uh, excuse me votes that swung. So 131 or 300, that's nowhere near the 20,000 that Donald Trump would need to sort of draw to his side if they were to revisit those votes. In the words of the former Republican Wisconsin Governor Scott Walker Lester, that is a, quote, high hurdle. This one appears to be pretty solid for Joe Biden. Yeah, Peter, uh, thanks. And quickly over to, uh, to, to Kate, Wisconsin, it would still take time, no matter the validity of it or not. The process of a, of, a of a recount, right? It would still take time. And again, this is our NBC News projection, but this is not the final count that the state will do. I was just sitting here trying to play Chuck Todd for a second and <laughs> looking at the map uh, because I remember Chuck saying, you know, if President Trump loses any of those three, it is it, it's a really tough path for him to get to the magic number of 270. He could do it if he had Georgia and North Carolina and Pennsylvania and Michigan. But those are a lot of issues. A lot of things right have now. to line up. Well, the, I, I think we kind of knew going in this was going to be a tough slog, and it's certainly uh, playing out to be for both candidates. We're going to take a break here and continue with Decision 2020 election coverage on NBC right after this.
campaign coronavirus. If you were sitting here talking to Joe Biden and President Trump, what would you want to tell them? The wind's standing, these flames are expected to last another 24 hours. NBC Nightly News with Lester Holt. News presents that Susan Collins will hang on to her seat. She will win in the state of Maine. And Kate, that was one uh, Democrats really thought was flippable. Yeah, in fact, I was looking at the numbers again. $160 million spent on that race. 90% of it, Lester, from out of state. Money sent in mainly by Democrats trying to overtake Susan Collins. Of course, she's a long-running member of the Senate. She's the longest-serving Republican woman in the U.S. Senate, and, and they thought she might be vulnerable this time around because she is moderate and, and maybe she wasn't close enough to Donald Trump to draw the, the upstate, the northern part of Maine, to her side. But but as it turns out, Senator Collins is in fine shape, and uh, already Sarah Gideon has conceded. All right. Uh, Kate, thank you for that. And if you just missed it a moment ago, NBC News has project, uh, projected Wisconsin will fall into the uh, Joe Biden column, that, that uh, Joe Biden is the apparent winner uh, in Wisconsin. Let me go to uh, Cal Perry right now, who is in Milwaukee. Uh, Cal, uh, any way you slice it, a far more narrow margin than I think a lot of people, including the Biden folks, uh, had anticipated. Oh, absolutely. Look, this mirrors what we saw four years ago when Hillary Clinton lost by 20,000 votes, and we know that that was traumatic as an understatement to the Democratic Party. Everybody remembers that and there was this vow to take the state more seriously. Joe Biden has visited here three times in his general election campaign. We shouldn't forget the DNC, the Democratic National Convention, was supposed to be here in Milwaukee. So the party put a premium on this state. They were able to...
to drive up the numbers again in Milwaukee and in Madison. We've seen it across this country, the division between urban and rural divide playing out. Big numbers here, big numbers in Madison, and then Trump taking those more rural communities. But a 20,000 vote margin, Joe Biden is the apparent winner in Wisconsin. We will now focus on that recount that we know the Trump administration is already going to trigger. We'll see that paperwork go through in about a week, Lester. All right, Cal, thanks. And I just want to drill down a little bit on that terminology, apparent winner. It means uh, the, the person won the race, but the outcome is close enough uh, that the results may depend on a potential recount or confirmation of the reported vote results. And that's why we're calling uh, Joe Biden the apparent winner uh, in Wisconsin. Uh, Wisconsin Senator Democrat uh, Tammy Baldwin is joining us now. Uh, Senator, thank you for being with us. To join you, thanks. Uh, react if you can to that slow slog of what we have just seen uh, that that call in uh, in your state. Well, uh, we had a tremendous amount of voter participation by absentee ballots. This is, of course, in the middle of a pandemic, and it was unprecedented in our state to have two thirds of the votes cast before election day. Those election uh, day in-person votes were tabulated and reported first, and then we had a wait, uh, quite a wait, to uh, see the uh, tabulation of the absentee ballots. But when they were reported, especially from our larger counties, uh, uh, cities of Green Bay, Milwaukee, Kenosha, um, that's what uh, turned the tide. And we just uh, are, are pleased with a very high participation rate and that uh, despite what the president might have wanted, that they, we took the time to count every vote. And, and, and tell us what the experience has been with recounts in, in Wisconsin. Well, I think you got it right before the break that um, we have had recounts, and they have mirrored very closely the election night or uh, final uh, reported results. We're talking about maybe a swing of a couple dozen votes uh, to one side of the ledger or the other, uh, but there is an over 20,000 vote lead, uh, and our, our municipal clerks work really hard to make sure that the tallies are accurate. Uh, also, as you note, the process in Wisconsin is that first there is an official canvas of the results that will probably start tomorrow. Um, and it's only after that canvas that a uh, request can be put in uh, for a recount if the margin is closer than one percentage point. That cost has to be borne by uh, Donald Trump and his campaign in this case, because you have to be within one quarter of one percent in order to get a recount that the state would subsidize. We expect, uh, Senator, we expect to hear from the former vice president uh, perhaps as soon as, as, as this hour. Um, his path certainly just became a little easier, but how important is his tone, his language, and ex any expectations that he may set? Well, I think he hit the mark last night uh, when he said that we all have to be patient. We have to make sure that every vote is counted. And um, he felt very encouraged about his chances of becoming the next president and earning those 270-plus uh, electoral votes. Uh, but we had to let the process uh, work its way through, especially when you have so many across the country during a pandemic casting absentee ballots and different rules in different states about uh, when those can be uh, processed and begun, uh, the counting process begun. 
And obviously in two states, we will have ballots that are postmarked by election day that will still be counted if they come into the uh, election commission in a, a certain amount of time. Very close. So again, why we're calling it apparent winner. Uh, Senator Baldwin, thank you for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Thank you. Now to Pennsylvania, Chris Jansing in Harrisburg, a place where you spend a lot of time covering elections. Chris, Joe Biden, the son of Scranton, yet Donald Trump has the lead now. Uh, how should we I interpret of the numbers and what we're seeing right now in Pennsylvania? Uh, very carefully is the answer to that. Look, the largest number of uncounted ballots of any state at the start of the day today was here in Pennsylvania, and it's expected that it will take longer here than any other place. And of course, it all depends on where those votes are coming from. Obviously, a couple of places that we're looking at very carefully are the cities and the areas around Pittsburgh and Philadelphia. Let me just throw some numbers at you. Right now, Donald Trump is leading here by under half a million votes, but more than a million votes have yet to be counted. Those are mail-in ballots that they've received. There's another half million ballots that were requested and have not yet been returned. There is no way to estimate how many of those will actually arrive in those elections offices by Friday? So a lot of that is up mm -hmm. in the air. And add to that that if it's a really close race here, you also have military and overseas ballots, which, which can contribute. But they are not required to be uh, counted until the 11th. So a lot of questions still about the whole count, how long it will take. There is a growing consensus. It's not going to happen today. In fact, we've heard repeatedly from the governor, the lieutenant governor, the secretary of state to have patience that they're going to do this in a very methodical and dependable way. Having said that, I think the, the consensus again, Lester, is maybe Friday at the earliest for a real count here. And then there are lawsuits which are ongoing, more expected, 500 lawyers on the ground just here in Pennsylvania, Lester. That's a lot of lawyers. All right, Chris Jansing, thank you very much. Yeah. Pennsylvania has loomed large throughout this entire process, a key battleground state, potentially the tipping point in all this. Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman joins us now. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, uh, thank you for, for taking some time. Uh, characterize, if you will, uh, how you see the, 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 uh, the accounting process in Pennsylvania. Sure. Well, I would like to just start off by saying that voting in Pennsylvania went incredibly well and smoothly. You know, any uh, idea that it was going to be chaotic or it was going to be uh, difficult, uh, they were proven wrong. And, and that's an important point to make because we delivered a secure, safe voting environment and the people of Pennsylvania weighed in. And right now we are looking at uh, roughly a million ballots that, that are going to be counted. They need to be counted. It's a lot to count them. And just basic math, would indicate that they are going to heavily favor the vice president. And as those numbers continue to draw down in the uncounted category, you're going to see the president's margin, I suspect, continue to decrease to a point where Pennsylvania could move into the positive category for the vice president. You, you say that because of the, the, where those, those ballots are coming from. I, I do. And let's, you know, let's look at, look at key counties in Pennsylvania right now, Montgomery County, Chester County, Delaware County, uh, some, to some degree Allegheny County at this point. These are all Democratic strongholds, and I don't envision there's a large cohort of uh, uh, Trump voters that are going to vote by mail at, at this point uh, that are outstanding. I think they're going to break significantly towards 
the, the vice president, quite frankly. I mean, that's statistically been the norm. But would you expect uh, more lawsuits coming your way? Do you expect the next uh, several days are going to be uh, challenging? Well, whatever. I mean, like, sure, go ahead. You know, 500 lawyers doesn't turn a, a, a lie. It doesn't make it any more true. The bottom line is that these votes are going to be counted. These votes have been in clear well in advance of any extended deadline already. And the bottom line is that voting in Pennsylvania was secure, and the result that we're going to get is going to be a true reflection of the will of Pennsylvania voters. Are you, one, Senate, of, I'm sorry, are you one of those who bought into the idea that, that, that Pennsylvania would be the tipping point, that this, this race would eventually land on your doorstep? I was, I think, the only Democrat in, in my state saying, look, look, we, we, we can't underestimate the president's strength here. You know, I don't care what the polls are. I, I, even, I even tweeted out, like, the Economist said 93% chance of winning Pennsylvania. Like, no way. You know, it's going to be close. And look at Michigan now. Look at Wisconsin. Look at where we're at in Pennsylvania. You know, so I, I've always taken the president's uh, threat seriously in Pennsylvania, and I was proven correct. But now where we're at now with a million ballots outstanding, and given where they're coming from and given the nature of those ballots, um, you know, math is clearly working in our favor. So send a thousand lawyers to Pennsylvania. They're, they're going to count the same. Uh, there are obviously going to be a lot of conversations about uh, about the polls um, to come, but just just your early view, uh, why has this been closer than I think a lot of people were led to believe it would be, not only in, in Pennsylvania, but across that map? Well, the reason I gave uh, in the weeks running up to it is, is that the president is intensely popular in Pennsylvania. And, and if he is successful in producing the kind of margins that put him over the top in 2016, it's going to be a tough race. And that's exactly what he did. Give the president credit. He did what he needed to do in the blue wall, and he came up short in Wisconsin. But I've said this also. If Pennsylvania is winnable for the president, he did everything right to get to that point. And if he does, in fact, come up short, it's going to be because we just got a little, we squeezed a little bit more out. And the vice president is a little bit more popular in these small counties across Pennsylvania than Secretary Clinton was. And, and by the way, he's, you know, he's still hanging on a little bit in North Carolina, uh, certainly in Nevada and even Arizona haven't been called for, uh, for Joe Biden right now. So uh, do you count the president very much viable in this, in this uh, election? Of course. But it's also not, it's not, looking, it's not looking good for the president in Michigan or in Nevada, and that's ballgame, 270 is ballgame. I mean, my hope is, is that Pennsylvania is just gravy on top of the icing, electorally speaking. But if, if those two states drop, like Wisconsin, you know, it's, it's time to measure some new drapes. Measure new drapes. Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, uh, thank you for spending a few minutes with us. Good to talk to you. Thank you. We'll take a quick break. Be back in just a moment. You're watching Decision 2020 coverage on NBC. T-Mobile's been building a 5G network for a moment like this. Introducing the iPhone 12 Pro with 5G. Now at T-Mobile, the leader in 5G coverage, you can unleash the power of the epic iPhone 12 Pro in more places. Get two iPhone 12 Pros and two lines of unlimited 5G for just $100. Only at T-Mobile, America's largest 5G network. At Chewy, we know walks can be better with our furry friends. 
and we're here to make those locks easy. From tasty treats on the go to toys that keep them moving, get everything they need, even prescriptions, delivered right to your door. Get fast, free, one to two day shipping. Visit Chewy.com today. Tripods, Ultra Oxy, one ups the cleaning power of liquid. Can it one up whatever they're doing? For sure. Seriously? One up the power of liquid, one up the toughest stain. Any further questions? <laughs> one up the power of liquid with Tripods Ultra Oxy. Colgate Optic Light Renewal removes 10 years of yellow stains. That's like all the way back to 2010. What's that? It's a shake on your head. It's a wakey shake. Removes 10 years of yellow stains with Colgate Optic Light Renewal. Back to our continuing coverage of Decision 2020. The big news in this hour, NBC News projecting is the apparent winner, Joe Biden, in the state of Wisconsin. Apparent winner because this is a really, uh, a really, really close race, and his results may depend on a potential recount, uh, which the Trump campaign has already uh, indicated it will seek, and certainly confirmation. So we're calling that the apparent winner, uh, Joe Biden. The road to 270, you see uh, Biden with 237 now. 213 uh, Biden uh, with an easier, a better uh, uh, path perhaps uh, to 270, but a lot to play out here. Let's go to Cal Perry right now, who is in Milwaukee. He's been watching all the dynamics uh, of this race in Wisconsin. Uh, what's the scene tonight, Cal?
But then as you got closer to Election Day, it was Republicans that were turning out in higher numbers, not only at the polling locations, but also turning in last minute their mail-in ballots. And so when you're looking at the situation here in Arizona, Joe Biden holds about a 93,000 vote lead over Donald Trump. If you take into account that 600,000 ballots on the line, Donald Trump would need to pull off with rough math, about 58% of the vote. We are not expected, Lester, unfortunately, but for the good that Maricopa County uh, uh, elections officials say that they've got the process under control and that they are ensuring when they do announce the results that they are firm. Tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern is when we should expect the next batch of ballots to drop. And so there's going to be a long afternoon of waiting here. Uh, the Trump campaign, uh, dating back to last night when other outlets began calling this race in favor of Joe Biden, uh, protested, uh, essentially making the case that they were able to turn out uh, supporters across the state, not only here in Maricopa County, but over in the rural parts of the state as well, uh, at high rates here. And what you are seeing is in these final days, based off the data that we have, that they were able to close this gap. Now the question is, uh, that's a tall task in, among these last 600,000 ballots to do that, especially when you take into account that independents are making up about a third of the electorate, too. And from the data that we have about independent voters in Arizona, they are trending towards Joe Biden. And so uh, there's a lot of question marks about exactly which way these last couple hundred thousand ballots trend here. The Trump campaign uh, is uh, clearly hoping uh, that uh, they come back uh, considerably favorable to the president. All right, uh, Bob, very helpful. You know, we sit here and look at these raw numbers, but it's interesting to hear, you know, where these other votes are coming from and, and the thinking and all this. So we appreciate that. Uh, let's let's kind of take a check here. We're about 10 minutes to 3 in the east right now, and we've had that movement. We've had this, this call for Biden, apparent winner in Wisconsin. Um, Kate, where does that leave us now in this right. larger 270? How do they get there? I'm going to do my best Chuck Todd impersonation because we let him go rest for a little while. <laughs> I don't have the big board. I can't. I can't That's okay. He doesn't let anybody it. play with it but him. <laughs> That's right. Um, but I think maybe we'll have a graphic or something we could throw up on the screen. Joe Biden's easiest, most likely path now, given that we have projected the apparent winner of Wisconsin to Joe Biden, is Arizona, Nevada, and Michigan. So now that he has Wisconsin, if you turn Arizona blue, which we have not projected yet, if you turn Nevada blue, and if you turn Michigan blue, that's it, Lester. That's all he needs. He doesn't even need Pennsylvania, even if Donald Trump were to win Pennsylvania. Joe Biden could become president at 270 votes with what I just laid out. What is the path to the president at this point? If you assume that the president takes Georgia, traditionally Republican state, North Carolina, traditionally Republican, and gets Pennsylvania, a big assumption, he then has 264. Not quite enough. So then the president would still need one other state, maybe Nevada, maybe Arizona, which we just heard Vaughn saying would be difficult, maybe Michigan. But you see how the president's options are much more limited by the math. Yeah, and uh, certainly, you know, many people have watched uh, leading up to election day thinking Biden might be able to capitalize on that Sunbelt strategy. Didn't quite happen. We may see uh, we may see a, a pickup for him in, in, in Arizona. And that should be um, critical, that Arizona, you know, if that goes for Biden, it makes yeah, it a lot easier and, and, uh, for Biden. And, and Donald Trump looked like he had a ticket to Pennsylvania as a possibility, but again, that, that path could be closed for him. All right, Kate, thanks very much. White House correspondent for the PBS NewsHour, uh, Yanis Alcindor, 
uh, joins our conversation again. Thanks for sticking around. Also, MSNBC senior political analyst uh, Ashley Parker. Ashley, uh, good to see you. Uh, give us your take. We just uh, we've seen this call now for Wisconsin and and Joe Biden. Um, how do you think the rest of this day is going to play out, and, and uh, how long before do you think we'll have some clarity here? Well, the, the Trump campaign, the past 24 hours, they in many ways have been whipsawing like the way the rest of the country has. There was early optimism um, last night, then it started, it felt like it was tipping for Biden a little bit, so I was getting calls from sources in the Trump side saying, we're, we're going to win all these states, we have a very clear path, and the rest is just gravy. This morning, where those exact same people are saying they're quite worried, they're nervous, um, there's some disagreement over which states the Trump people are most bullish about. I've talked to some people in, in Trump world who actually say they're most optimistic about places like Arizona and Nevada. That's where they think they may be able to hold. But, but you also, I think the broader thing to pull back briefly is the president has been laying the groundwork in his rhetoric for what we're about to see for months now. This idea that votes that don't go for him and especially votes that are, you know, mailed in and not cast on election day are somehow fraudulent. I want to pause and say that's absolutely 100% not true. But if you look at the campaign strategy, the legal battles they're talking about and the cases they've already filed and what the president said last night, their argument is basically that in the states where he is ahead, they should stop counting votes and declare it a win. And in the states that they had hoped to win, but where he is behind, Something, something is amiss, something is fraudulent, and it needs to be looked into further. And so I think that's just not how today is going to play out, but but the rest of the week until we have a clear victor. Yeah, and so let me bring in Yamisha. Yamisha, if that being the case, what's the end game here? Um, you know, filing lawsuits and, and, and making statements about disenfranchisement don't necessarily change the results. So is there a broader long game here that's being played, or is it just the impulsivity uh, of the president that you're seeing? I think it's both. As Ashley noted really smartly, the president has been laying his groundwork for this idea that he has he is a victim of like some sort of deep state um, push to try to take the election away from him. He's been saying over and over again at rally after rally that Democrats are going to try to steal the election. Now, of course, we're a day after the election, um, while of course votes are still being counted. So I think the end game here for the president is twofold. One is he really does want to try to in court as much as possible, try to win um, legal fights, legal battles that will somehow deliver the election to him. He's been very clear about that. The president also said yesterday that he's willing to go to the Supreme Court. This is why Democrats were very, very nervous when President Trump was able to confirm Justice Amy Coney Barrett, because he believes that he can take a case to the Supreme Court and somehow get a victory in this election through the Supreme Court. Of course, the Biden campaign is pushing back very hard on that. Their top legal expert on their campaign is saying he thinks it's impossible for the president to have some sort of case that would go to the Supreme Court that would then turn into him being elected president. That being said, there's also this feeling among Trump supporters, and I would say among some Democrats, that even if the president loses, he's already laying the groundwork for what could be the president continuing to say that he was a victim of some sort of um, nefarious thing that allowed him not to be able to get a second term. Now, of course, that's long down the line, and I want to pause with Ashley and say that is not true. We don't see any evidence of voter fraud. We don't see any evidence of anyone trying to steal any sort of election. But that being said, the Trump campaign has a little bit different tone. They're being more cautious, but the president himself is being very clear. He thinks this is being stolen from him. Yeah, and, and actually, a couple things can happen here, uh, that uh, the president finds his path to, to victory and wins this thing, and then with all those uh, complaints in the background, uh, 
the other option, of course, is that uh, Joe Biden wins, but is damaged during this lame duck period in which the president still has the bully pulpit. Well, well, that's exactly right. I mean, the president's only goal is to win. The president is not so much thinking about a post-Trump world where he has lost, he's not president, but what does that mean for Republicanism writ large and Joe Biden? But there are a number of Republicans who frankly feel that even if Trump does not pull this out, exactly what you said, this is on the whole a victory for him. You have Joe Biden coming in weekend. For the Democrats who were hoping that last night would be a grand repudiation of Trumpism, that certainly did not happen. There is a nation as divided and, and riven with partisanship and distrust for each other as ever. You're going to have Joe Biden again, if he wins, coming in with the former president of the United States, uh, who still commands a very loyal following with at least about half of the country, roughly, saying that it, saying that it was stolen um, and that he's not the legitimate president. And you have a Republican-controlled Senate. So, so a Biden win, I, I don't want to say it's a Paris victory. People, Democrats, want Biden to win, of course. But he does emerge in a Democratic best-case scenario deeply, deeply damaged and going to be further undermined by Donald Trump just about every day in yeah. absentia. And I made a mental note yesterday when he was uh, thanking campaign volunteers. He said something to the effect of, Winning is easy, but for me, losing is very, very hard. I'm paraphrasing, but it was a moment of reflective uh, President Trump that we don't see a lot, and I, I made a, a note of that. Uh, thanks to both of you for taking part in our conversation. We need to take a break. We'll be back in just a moment. You're watching Decision 2020 coverage on NBC News. Another two million more 
or the Jews going to be mail-in coming back live. Uh, the ball ballots uh, just keep coming from the post office, others from drop boxes. Uh, the count continues. I'm Tony Danielle reporting live from Downey. Back to you in the studio. Tony, thank you. And want to give you the results on more local races in California's 48th congressional district in coastal Orange County. Democratic incumbent Harley Duda and Republican challenger Michelle Steele are locked in a very tight race. Still has a slight lead with 93% of precincts reporting. And 39th congressional district right now incumbent Democrat Gil Cisneros locked in a 50-50 battle with Republican challenger Young Kim. Here with NBCLA.com and the NBCLA app for more updates. taking over for Lester for a moment so he can prepare for NBC Nightly News. It is 3 o'clock Eastern Time, noon out west. We are on the air with our continuing NBC News special coverage of Decision 2020. Results still coming in. Things very much changing minute by minute, counting as we speak the votes in this presidential election. Let's take a look at where we stand right now. This is the biggest call we've made just in the last hour. Wisconsin, NBC News, is now projecting the apparent winner, Joe Biden. In the state of Maine, the Senate race that we've been closely watching uh, now expected to go for the apparent winner, Senator Susan Collins, longtime senator from the state of Maine, retaining her seat. So if you look at the road to 270 right now, that magic number of electoral college votes needed to win the presidency, we've got Joe Biden with 237, the president with 214, but with a lot of outstanding votes. You look at the map there, the gray states, if you haven't been watching us for the past 24 hours, those gray states are still not projected by NBC News, still very much in play, some more than others. And if you look at the popular vote, you can see the difference there. I believe that we, that's, sorry, that's the electoral vote. That's the electoral vote, guys, or that's the popular vote? That's Pennsylvania. I'm tired. Can you tell? <laughs> that's Pennsylvania. It shows it right across the top of the screen. So Pennsylvania right now. Too early to call with 81% of the vote in. Pennsylvania still more than 2 million votes to be counted there. In Michigan, another tight one too early to call. You've got Joe Biden with a bit of a lead, a difference of 37,000 votes, but that's only 94% in, so we are waiting on that one. And Arizona, we just had a report from there from Vaughn Hilliard, 86% of the vote in, too early to call, although Joe Biden's camp is looking on this one favorably. And next up, Nevada, 86% of the vote in there, also too close to call with Joe Biden with a slight lead there at the moment, but again, too close to call. In Georgia, also too close to call. This is a red state, for, uh, one that Donald Trump carried easily last time. Uh, Joe Biden making a play for it, 93% in, too close to call right now. And North Carolina, another southern state that the Biden camp thought maybe they would have a chance. He visited often, too close to call at this stage. Let's go to Kristen Welker. She's at Joe Biden headquarters in Delaware. Uh, Kristen, the former vice president we thought was going to hold a press conference or speak to a crowd, encourage his supporters. Any update on, on when that might happen? We still expect that to happen within the hour, Kate, I'm told. And our field reporters are there outside his home. They're waiting to come here, which is where, of course, he spoke last night, although I anticipate he will be speaking inside this time just behind me in that convention hall. Look, the Biden campaign, Kate, based on my conversations throughout the morning and now afternoon, 
feeling increasingly emboldened, particularly in scaling up its action. NBC News has, of course, said that Joe Biden is now the apparent winner of Wisconsin, uh, and President Trump is moving to proper recounts of that. But look, here's why this is significant, why this is a significant development, because part of Joe Biden's pact, what he always saw as his pact, was to rebuild that blue wall, those Midwestern states that fell in 2016 to Republicans. That has been a key part of his goal and his strategy to win back the White House. So with this apparent victory in Wisconsin, Joe Biden getting one step closer to doing that and flipping a key Trump state. They also like what they are seeing in Michigan. They like what they're seeing in Nevada. Uh, as well as Arizona. But, Kate, you have to underscore that these votes are still being counted. And just because the Biden campaign feels good about it doesn't mean that we know what the ultimate outcome is going to be. It just underscores, I think, what we can anticipate we're going to hear from Joe Biden when he does, in fact, speak a little bit later on this afternoon. Now, I also wouldn't be altogether surprised if Biden was defiant in terms of responding to what we heard from President Trump overnight. President Trump, of course, falsely claiming that he'd already won this race. The campaign manager for the Biden campaign came out with a really excoriating response, calling that kind of language dangerous and unprecedented. So will we hear something similar to Joe, from Joe Biden when he takes the stage? That remains to be seen, but we'll be listening very closely for that. And then one more thing I would note, Kate, the legal challenges have already begun from the Trump campaign. I just spoke with an official, and we've been talking to folks throughout the day. The Biden campaign says they have a team of lawyers at the ready to be dispatched for these legal challenges. Now, if Pennsylvania, for example, becomes pivotal, this race could be protracted. But if Biden gets to 270 without Pennsylvania, you might not have that protracted battle. But we know that they are focused on Pennsylvania. Why? Because, of course, Pennsylvania started counting its mail-in votes yesterday. So they anticipate it's going to take them until Friday to get to the end of that count. Right. And just one follow-up question, Kristen. Is the Biden campaign, when you say they've got their lawyers at the ready also, we're, we haven't heard of any offensive moves, if you will, by the Biden campaign. Do, do, we, do you sense that the, camp, the, the Biden campaign is also looking at potentially filing any kind of action, or are they waiting in defensive posture for whatever the Trump campaign does? That's a smart point, Kate. I don't think at this point we have seen them move to file any lawsuit challenging uh, any of the count vote counts at this point. I think at this point in time they are ready to defend against any legal challenges coming their way. Doesn't mean it won't happen, though, right. because everyone's looking at this counting process quite closely. One top lawyer for the Biden campaign, though, saying earlier today uh, in response to the president's threat to take this fight all the way to the Supreme Court, he basically said, let him. He will ultimately prove to be quite embarrassed by the results. Now, there's a lot of bravado going around on both sides, but that's part of the messaging coming out of the Biden campaign today. All right, Kristen Walker, thanks so much, and, and stay on it with us, and let us know if there are any signs of the vice president being ready to speak. Uh, let's bring in our White House correspondent, Peter Alexander. So, Peter, uh, Kristen was just talking about that blue wall, and that's where you're already seeing challenges by the Trump campaign in both Wisconsin, asking for a recount, and Michigan asking to stop the count Yeah, Kate, no, you're exactly right. This start earlier this morning, we heard from Bill Stepien, the president's campaign manager, saying if they count all the legal ballots that Donald Trump would win, that term legal ballots suggesting there's some evidence of fraud or cheating, 
which at this point there is no evidence that we're aware of of either of those things right now, indicating the sort of legal strategy they'd be pursuing over the course of this day. And as you noted, that's what we are now seeing. Within the last hour or so, the campaign announcing that it would be suing to halt the count taking place in the state of Michigan right now. Uh, their complaint, their claim was that they were not granted access to those counting locations to see the ballot process and counting process taking place. Earlier, it was in Wisconsin where there were about 20,000 votes to separate Joe Biden from Donald Trump. Biden with the advantage there, the Trump campaign announcing that they would be calling for a recount immediately, something that they can do when the vote is within one percentage point. Right now it is under one percent that separates the two, even as we have announced that Joe Biden is the apparent winner in that state. And then within the next 30 minutes, now less than that, about 20 minutes from now in Pennsylvania, specifically in Philadelphia, we are going to hear the next sort of uh, effort by the Trump campaign. Corey Lewandowski, the former campaign manager, um, Laura Trump, Eric Trump, the president's son and his wife, Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, will all be there for a news conference to take place in the next half hour, I'm told, um, by folks in the campaign that they are focusing on what they describe as ongoing election issues in Philadelphia. Rudy Giuliani, a short time ago on Twitter, complaining about what he described as massive cheating in that state. Again, there's no evidence of any cheating taking place. In fact, in Pennsylvania, they are still counting the ballots that are outstanding. As Kristen just indicated, the Supreme Court upheld the decision taking place in that state, which is that for any ballots that were postmarked by yesterday, Election Day, if they arrived by this Friday, so within 72 hours of Election Day, they would be legal and they could be counted. Those in the Trump campaign say they are demanding that the folks in Philadelphia play by the rules. For the moment, those are the rules, and no one uh, has said otherwise. Uh, again, the Supreme Court standing by them. So that's where things stand right now from the campaign purposes. The president, as you noted last night, effectively declaring victory, falsely, obviously, and prematurely. But now they're sort of conceding that that's not the case, that they can't claim victory, changing their language, at least the campaign is, saying that they're looking for ways, still trying to find that pathway, whatever it may be, to get to 270 electoral votes, Kate. Peter Alexander at the White House. Course, Peter, thank you. And as we talk about Pennsylvania, the Secretary of State there, the Attorney General, the Governor of Pennsylvania, all urging calm earlier today and patience, asking everyone to be patient. Let's bring in Washington Post national political reporter, moderator of Washington News on PBS, and NBC News political contributor Robert Costa is with us, along with Victoria DeFrancesco Soto, Assistant Dean at the LBJ School of Public Affairs at the University of Texas, Austin and also an NBC News contributor. Uh, Robert, let me start with you. I, I know you have great sources. You spoke with a Biden team lawyer earlier. What are you hearing first from the, from the Biden camp? So I've just been texting with some of them and got off the phone and with a few of them and also interviewed Bob Bauer, the Biden campaign's top lawyer. Look, in brief, the Biden campaign is sitting pretty in their view. They feel like their whole strategy was mail-in votes. Let the votes be counted. They may be slow to come in, but let them be counted in, in Wisconsin, in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Georgia, and just have patience. And I asked Bauer, are you going to be litigious? Are you going to start going after and filing lawsuits against the Trump campaign? And he said he has some concerns about voter suppression, uh, but they're not going to be filing any lawsuits at this time. They're just going to let the vote be counted. That's what I had just asked Kristen Welker, whether they would proactively be, be taking action. Robert, before, before I switch over, let me just ask you about the, the Trump White House right now uh, and the president himself. Do you have any reporting on what his attitude is today? We know that they're going to be holding uh, family members.
surprised is that we haven't had that yet. I've asked for his confidants to give me their, their candid view. And they say his whole attitude last night at 3 a.m. in the morning is being echoed now this morning and this, this afternoon on Wednesday. He's telling his associates, his advisors, get out to Philadelphia. Fight for me. Show you're going to fight. Say this election is stolen, even though that is there's no evidence of voter fraud in this election uh, in any way. Uh, he's telling his people to get out there and fight. And he's getting his lawyers ready to file lawsuits. And he's asking it to, to, to go all the way to the Supreme Court. However, most Republican lawyers, including Don McGahn, his former counsel, who I just got off the phone with, he said that's going to be difficult. It's a difficult path for the Trump campaign at this point to mount a major legal challenge. What they're hoping for is a recount in Wisconsin, and they're hoping in Georgia they can hold on, though it's tough. A lot of votes are still being counted in Fulton County and Atlanta. Uh, let me go to Victoria. Uh, Victoria, you're, you're the assistant dean for civic engagement. Uh, this, this is a moment of civic engagement in this country like we haven't seen in quite a while. Specifically, I'm representing the financial stimulus case. So uh, the turnout levels that we have seen in this 2020 election surpass those. It's not record-breaking, but it is the highest since 120 years. And, and I think that the silver lining to all of this, you know, what we're waiting for the results to be finalized, is the fact that we did see an increase in youth turnout. We did see an increase in Latino turnout, perhaps not necessarily in the way certain candidates wanted it to go, but we did see a lot of a lot of enthusiasm on both sides. I think that this is an especially important win for the country in this moment where we're, we're very much on edge. And, and really quickly, Kate, I, I wanted to, to note in terms of the patience wearing thin for folks, this is what is so difficult about our democracy. Democracy is about uncertainty at times, and it's about accepting the fact that we don't know, and then we're going to have to accept the results that we don't necessarily like. So this is a very important period that we are living, and we also need to reflect on that in terms of our engagement. So I think I always push people, instead of being frustrated, allow this beautiful process that is our democracy to play out. And, and notable right now, Victoria, that we're sitting here the day after the election, there were so many fears. There's so much anxiety in this country right now. I think everyone is feeling it. And concerns that there might be violence, that there might be demonstrations, that people might not accept the results. At this stage, it's early, but things seem to be calm in this country. People are waiting, and they are being patient. They are, and, and we did see a really notable pop-up uh, on Election Day in my home state of Texas here. We know that the National Guard had been put on alert by the governor. We didn't need any of that, right? Folks were, were peaceful. They wanted to make their voice heard. So I think that what is important is that we keep doing what we're doing. No one likes to wait. You know, no one likes to hurry up and wait. And I think this is going to be the key piece because it's going to take a while. Not only is the counting going to take a while, but the recount process is going to take a while, and perhaps the legal challenge. So I wish I could say it were different, but we just need to stock up on our patience. Yeah, and just in terms of fortitude, it just reminds me of 2000 all over again. Uh, Victoria DeFrancesco Soto, Robert Costa, thanks both for being with us. Appreciate it so much. Uh, let's turn to Senator Chris Coons, who's with us now from Delaware, a Democrat. You were with members of the Biden campaign last night. Tell me about the mood as you were inside last night. We heard about Vice President Biden making calls yesterday, trying to find out where vote was still coming in. He, he was actively working the phone from what I heard. Well, 
great to be on with you. We're optimistic. Um, everything that we've seen today um, strongly suggests that if we have the patience uh, that you were just discussing, we wait and make sure that every vote is counted, um, that we will end up, uh, the Biden campaign will end up with a bigger margin of victory uh, in Wisconsin, in Michigan, and likely in Pennsylvania uh, than Donald Trump had in those three critical states four years ago. Um, Joe Biden is on the pathway uh, towards winning the presidency, but we have to be patient and make sure that the laws are followed and the votes are counted. As you well know, in our country, elections are not decided by candidates and their pronouncements. They're decided by voters casting ballots and those ballots being counted in an orderly way uh, by states and counties, by boards of commission, uh, boards of election, and then uh, the secretaries of state certifying those elections. It's always taken yeah. several days for those certifications to happen. That's part of how our system works. But let me play devil's advocate for a moment, because if the president and his campaign continue to, to cast doubt on these results, continue to say there were, uh, they, they've been making claims that there were uh, disenfranchised voters, that there were uh, things happening in certain states that we haven't been able to verify at this point, but, but they're casting doubt. Will that tarnish you know, as we move forward here, will that make it harder for the vice president if, if he is declared a winner? Well, if Donald Trump had a reputation as a truthful man um, who routinely said a clear and science-based and truthful things about other matters, uh, it might be a greater problem. But we know that President Trump uh, almost daily says things that are wildly untrue uh, about things as important as the pandemic and public health. Uh, about world relations, about the size of his own crowds, about all sorts of things. He is just a serially untruthful man Senator, who has great difficulty saying things that are obvious. Senator, can I ask you to pause and stay with us for a moment? I want to get back to Peter Alexander sure. at the White House with a, a little bit of developing news about the president and Pennsylvania, I understand, Peter? Yeah, Kate, that's exactly right. As we noted, there will be a news conference taking place in Pennsylvania about 10 to 15 minutes from now that we just received a statement from the Trump campaign about the newest actions, the legal actions they're taking in their words to, quote, uh, fight for the integrity of the most important election in our lifetime right now. So at issue here is the fact that, as we noted, in that state, they could receive ballots with a postmark by yesterday, Election Day, through this Friday, that those ballots would be counted. That was upheld by the Supreme Court. Well, now, according to this new statement from the Trump campaign, the action they are taking, they are suing to stop the counting of those ballots right now. They want to try to pursue this case further with an effort to try to get, I suspect, the Supreme Court to weigh in at another time on it now that there is another Trump um, nominee, now Justice, Justice Amy Coney Barrett, who is on the court. And separately, that they are demanding access to these voting locations in Pennsylvania where some of the voting, or excuse me, the counting process is taking place as well, something similar to what they have done earlier today in Michigan. So not clear that they have yet filed suit, but that they will be filing suit in Pennsylvania as well. Again, Rudy Giuliani, the president's personal attorney, will be among those who is delivering this statement of some kind to take place only a short time from now. As we've been reporting, they are looking for any possible avenue to try to claw back some of these states. This is a state where they have an advantage right now, but there is, I think, 1.3-something million votes still out there. And if you look at the map, particularly in the bottom right of that screen, those taller counties around Philadelphia, the expectation is that a lot of those votes, many of them mail-in ballots, yet to be counted. They didn't begin the process of looking at them until yesterday, right. that those ballots and the ones that
we've been here for the next several days could make this a much closer race for Joe Biden. And Peter, I just want to, I want to put a point on that and to, and to clarify, these are ballots that were legally cast, that were sent in and postmarked by Election Day, right, that were going to be allowed to be counted, but had been cast by Election Day. And now the Trump no, campaign is saying, don't even count them. Yeah, Kate, no, you're exactly right about those ballots. These are ballots that were postmarked by Election Day, but to be clear, they may not even be in receipt of the election officials yet. They may not have them yet. They still have 48 hours. They have until Friday for those to be received. So there could still be more ballots coming in that swells that number. Obviously, that's of concern. The Trump campaign officials say they want the Philadelphia um, officials to play by the rules. They say it's only the Congress or the legislature of that state that can change these rules, that can extend the deadline. They say, in effect, that that is not allowed, that they are breaking the rules of Philadelphia. And that's the effort that they're pursuing there. All right, Peter Alexander at the White House, thank you. Let me go back to Senator Chris Coons, who's still with us from Delaware, a Democrat. Uh, Senator, you just heard that breaking news. They're now going to fight in Pennsylvania. They're going to try to stop the counting of these ballots that have been sent in, uh, postmarked by yesterday, by Election Day, also demanding access to locations uh, where the votes are being counted and opened. Your reaction? Uh, well, frankly, President Trump and his team have proven themselves to be masters of spectacle and distraction. They want to stop the counting in a state where they're currently ahead, but where all the trends show they will ultimately lose. And they want to go back and recount ballots in a state where they have been declared the losers. I think they should allow the law to be applied and the ballots to be counted. Uh, the ballot counting process is transparent and public. Uh, they're trying to gin something up here in Pennsylvania to give them a claim uh, where these are legally cast ballots, uh, where the Supreme Court uh, has declined to intervene before twice. Um, and I think, frankly, this just shows it smacks of desperation that the president and his team uh, are trying to do everything they possibly can to litigate back to a win when it looks near certain that in these critical states where the counting of ballots is still going on, that they will ultimately lose. Senator Coons, thanks for being with us. We will be hearing from the Trump campaign and his team shortly, about nine minutes from now, we believe. We're back after a short break. Stay with us.